need a prayer for wisdom. I'm just like a farmer prayer for rain. Cause I knew that I must have it to survive in this life. So I took a look inside me. To my left and to my right. I saw people full of wisdom on the right in my life. And it started to come clear. I began to understand that my prayer was being answered. It's all part of God's plan that if we walk with the right, we will grow blind. Well, good morning, Vertical Life Church. How are we? Awesome. I just feel the presence of God this morning, and I hope you do too. There's nothing greater than being in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the way God can take hurting hearts and mend them and heal them and take what is a mess in your life and turn it into a miracle. Only God can do that. Uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, we just have a couple of quick announcements. Again, as always, Sunday nights, 5.30, we have prayer night hosted in our home. If you've not been, we just want to encourage you to do that. We're praying about you know, several different uh, issues relating to the church, exciting things and things we want to see God do. We're, we're praying for the community, what we'd like to see happen in our community. We're praying for one another, what we'd like to see God do in the lives of those who gather and those that are on our hearts. So if you're a person of prayer, or maybe you've just never been to a prayer gathering that actually uh, reveals God to you rather than puts you to sleep, then I invite you to come to our uh, 5.30 prayer nights. You will not regret it, and I trust that uh, it'll be a great impact and make a big difference in your life. As well as our midweek gatherings, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at New Covenant, is our CR, Celebrate Recovery Ministry. If you have not been engaged with that, I want to encourage you to do so. It is an amazing way to see how God can really begin to work the healing process out in your life, no matter what you're struggling with and what uh, your issues may be. Contrary to public belief, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are no perfect people in this world, correct? Yes, there are no perfect people. We're all broke. And we all need fixing. If you want to take it from a, a, southern, uh, a southern phrase, we're all broke. We're broken. We've got things in our lives that aren't right. And it's easy to pretend like that's not the case when we gather on Sundays. But the reality is, is we all need Jesus for a reason. And Celebrate Recovery is a great way to help us encounter the Lord and begin the healing process in those broken areas of our lives. So definitely, if you've got Tuesday nights free, we want to see you out to Celebrate Recovery 7 p.m as well as Wednesday evenings at 7 is our life groups. These are our small group Bible studies where we get together, we go deeper into the Word of God, we learn from God's Word. This semester, we're actually going deeper into the Sunday messages. So what you hear on Sunday, you can then uh, kind of chew and discuss with your fellow uh, church family and encourage one another, build each other up, as well as pray together, eat together, hang out together, build relationships that will last a lifetime. So I want to encourage you, life groups are one of the lifebloods of our ministry, so you want to get engaged with our life groups. And then also coming up, a big event is March 1st and 2nd. This is our men's conference. I'm inviting all the men personally. If you're a man, ages 12 and up, 
this conference is for you. The cost is $20, and we'll be going down to Cornerstone Church in Highland, about an hour south of us. There are some incredible speakers that are going to be there for the weekend. It's going to be a Friday evening, dinners included. So if you want to know what you get for the 20 bucks, you get a dinner, dessert, and then uh, s- Saturday morning, we'll be heading back there, and there also will be a breakfast served, so your food's taken care of. Go get fat and then get filled up with God's spirit, you know. So it's going to be an incredible time just to engage God's word on how to be a man of God, how to leave a lasting legacy. You definitely don't want to miss that. We will be carpooling together, so we need to know who all is interested. You pay at the conference, so you don't have to pay anything in advance. If you're interested in coming, there should be a sign-up sheet at the VIP table. So on your way out today, please stop by there, register your name, and we'll uh, be in contact with everyone who signs up. Definitely don't want to miss that. Another uh, uh, exciting thing is that something new we're doing this year, our leadership team, all of our leaders in all different ministry areas, we got together and we kind of planned out the calendar of events for the year. There's still some things that we're kind of brewing under the surface. We've not gotten a date for or really any details, so we don't have that listed yet. But at the VIP table also, there's a 2019 calendar of events. So if you're always like kicking yourself that you're missing stuff because you plan to go out of town when we've planned some events, now you can see ahead of time what we're doing and uh, s- s- arrange your calendar so that you can be a part of what God is doing here at VLC, when we do outreach into our community, like with our movie nights and some other things that we've got going on. So it's really exciting uh, in the life of our church. We are in week three of our teaching series, Walk with the Wise. This is a study in the book of Proverbs. And so I want to uh, just say a couple things briefly and then pray, and we'll get right into this service. But today, we're kind of in part two of what we began to unpack last week. Last week, we talked about gaining wisdom for the influences that are in our lives. Whether we know it or not, we all have many influences that are constantly speaking into our lives, that are affecting the way we think, the way we believe. And today we're going to kind of expand that because we live in a culture, in a world, that is inundating us with influences that are hell-bent on leading us away from our relationship with God. They are hell-bent on leading us away from the blessings that God has for our lives, to leading us to do the very things the enemy would have us to do to bring in his plans of destruction. It says, Jesus said, the enemies come for nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. And every time we step out of God's will in whatever area, we are aiding the enemy in his plans to bring destruction into our lives. Uh, last week, we, we discovered that on average, Americans spend at least five hours a day watching television. But conversely, we only spend about 19 minutes a day reading. And out of all the believers in America that claim to be born-again believers, that claim to attend church regularly, only 19% of those even crack open a Bible. So if you think about the amount of worldly influence we have compared to spiritual influence, there's no wonder we're struggling with a lot of the many issues we are in our world today. But I'm bringing this message to you, and I know that today, and I want you to hear my heart, okay? There are the issues we're going to be discussing today that I know are going to affect some of you in this room. It's going to hit you. And it's not, 
We're not talking about this today to bring shame or condemnation, okay? God does not condemn. He doesn't bring conviction to condemn. God brings conviction to set you free and lead you into his blessings. God has good plans for you. And I would not be loving you as your pastor if I ignored issues for fear of offending people. And our goal is not to offend anyone today, but our goal is to reveal the truth of God's word to provide you an opportunity to grow in wisdom and walk into the blessings of God and not into struggle and dysfunction and the things the enemy would want to bring into your life. I'm bringing this to you because I know the pain of some of these circumstances in my very own life, and I wouldn't wish any of that on any of you. And so I want you to hear my heart today. This is a message of love, though it is covering some strong issues and some personal issues. The love that I want to convey is a love that God has something better for you. And if you would hearken your ear to wisdom, to the word of God, you'll see a life that you never imagined. But if you go the other way, if you follow the influences of the world and you follow what the enemy would have for you, you are going to end up living a life of trouble, trial, dysfunction, and maybe even one day destruction. And so I say that to let you know that this is from a heart of a man who wants good for you because I know God wants even more for you than we can imagine. Father in heaven, I just pray today. Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that these words would be guided and filled and birthed by your Holy Spirit. God, that you would give me words that would be gracious, seasoned with salt, that it would minister grace to everyone here. Lord, we just said from the beginning that there is no perfect person. There is not a perfect person here. Every one of us have areas in our lives that are sinful, that are out of your will. That's why Jesus had to come. Without Jesus, we'd have no hope. There's nothing good in any of us that's worthy of your honor and glory. That's why we needed Jesus. So thank you for that. And thank you, God, that you've not left us empty-handed, but you've left us your word to soak up, to study, to hear your very word to us, that we might have what Jesus came to bring, which was life and life more abundantly. So God, give us ears to hear and a heart that is able to understand. And God, as we discuss sensitive issues, Lord, I pray that the walls of defense and offense would not rise. I pray against every spirit of offense now in the name of Jesus, and I command them to be silent and to go. And God, I just ask you, Lord, to grab a hold of our hearts, open our eyes to the influences that the world has had that we've been blind to, or maybe we've just willingly ignored. We've become willingly ignorant for fear of what that might mean in our lives. And I pray, God, that revival would begin to kindle in our hearts and the power of your spirit would overflow in this room today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at several passages of scripture today. But I want to look at our key verse. Our key verse comes out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And this is really the point of this message, even though we're going to be talking about several issues. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Read this with me, church. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is why your influences is so vitally important. What you allow to influence your life, your belief system, the the way you think, the way you perceive your world, that is going to determine the course that you take, the choices that you make the decisions that you allow to go on in your life. We need to guard our hearts. And the way we do that is by growing in the fear of the Lord. 
by growing in wisdom, by giving our hearts, developing a hunger for God that supersedes any other hunger of our flesh or this world might provide. This means spending quality time with God and allowing him to direct our steps, allowing him to speak into even the most sensitive and personal issues in our lives. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 and 26, this is what God is really calling out to us. This is a letter from a father to a son. And I want you to hear God's voice as he's crying out to you as his child. He, God is saying to you today, my child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. Did you know God wants to restore your soul? He wants to refresh your soul. This world leaves you broken and alone, and God wants to refresh your soul. It says common sense and discernment, they are like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear, and you will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. That is a marvelous and wonderful thing to think about. God being our security. God keeping us from stumbling or falling into the wicked uh, trap, the trap set by the enemy. One of our realities today, though, and what caught my eye as I read this passage of Scripture, talking about being able to lie down without fear, to sleep soundly, is that today, you can research this, you can go online to a quick Google search, one of the fastest growing dilemmas and, and issues in our world today is that people are battling mental illness like never before anxiety, depression, you name it, is on the rise. There's probably, I don't know what the number is, but statistically, you could run into maybe a handful of people and at least half of those will be on some kind of medication for some form of mental illness. We're, we're battling these anxieties and stress disorders. And why are we battling those? What, what's the deal? Why are we battling these issues? Well, the Word of God tells us. It's because we have lost godly discernment and common sense. And we're dealing with every day the ramifications of issues that we allow to prolong in our lives because they are out of the will of God. We've made decisions, even if we were not aware of it, we're walking according to our own ways. The Bible says we doing, we're doing what's right in our own eyes versus doing what God has said or has left for us here in his word. So we're left to bear the weight like a monkey on our back the stresses and the, the emotional damage or baggage that forms when we fall into the enemy's traps. I can remember uh, not too long ago, as I'm just walking through, I'm trying to honor God in most areas of my life, but there was one area that was way out of, way out of whack. And it felt like every day, like I had a weight on my chest and I was super irritable and I, and I would just lash out for no apparent reason at all. Why? Because there was a guilt in my spirit that I had not taken care of. There were issues in my life that, were, that I was trying to ignore or just excuse away or, or just, you know, white knuckle my way through. But those issues have an effect. They have an effect on your experience, your emotions and the like. And I was filled with anxiety. I was filled with fear, wondering at any second, was somebody going to find out what was going on with me? What would people think and the like? What will people say? And these issues we are left to carry as we're consumed, wondering, 
what is going to happen next. But the Bible says that if we follow godly discernment and common sense, if we fear the Lord, God will be our security and we'll be able to lay down without fear. We'll be able to sleep soundly. Some of you here probably deal with issues of sleep. You're not able to sleep at night and you're not wondering, you're wondering why is that? There might be some things in your life that have been out of the will of God and your spirit is sick and in need of healing. And until those issues are corrected, that's not going to come to fruition. Here God is telling us, if we follow wisdom, we will be without fear. We will sleep soundly at night. We won't be overcome with these issues because God has a plan to refresh and restore your soul. God wants good for his children. Last week, again, we began discussing the need to guard our influences because the enemy, through many different means, cultural pressure, peer pressure, even subtle deception, has deceived even believers in Christ to follow his plans and schemes, and we do it without even realizing it. So we get swept up in the patterns and customs of this world behaviors that bring dysfunction into our lives and eventually lead to our destruction. And what we discovered is that God is ready right now to pour out his blessings. God doesn't need you to become good enough to want to bless your life. He already wants to bless you. Every good thing we have in life, Bible says, comes from God. God wants to pour out even more blessing on his children, but often our priorities and our choices get in the way of what he wants to and how he wants to bless us. So today we're gonna peel back another layer that the enemy has been perpetrating in our nation, in our world, an influence that has infiltrated even the church, even the church. He's been bringing dysfunction and cursing into the body of Christ through deception. And it's becoming even more and more readily accepted by the majority we can see of believers. And how do we know that? It's because we can see it in the lives of many people who sit in church pews and church services all over the United States, all over the world. This isn't just a VLC issue. This is a international church issue. And the devil's been doing this for a long time. In the book of Proverbs, if you've been reading a chapter a day, like we challenged the church on day one, first week of this series to read one chapter a day, you can get through the whole book in a month and just absorbing the wisdom of God you'll discover that in the first few chapters, really the first five chapters or six chapters, it's almost like the same chapter over and over again, being retold in the same way. It's a restatement because the father is really trying to stress to his son to avoid the influences of wicked people and and to follow godly discernment, to fear the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And one of the pleas that he gives in chapter five and chapter six is that there is a plea from the father to this son, a plea to avoid the immoral woman. You can see it in chapter one, chapter five, and chapter six. Now again, in context, this letter of Proverbs is written from a father, King Solomon, to his son, the son that would be the next king. And so he's writing about all these influences that can not only bring destruction into his own life, but literally bring down the kingdom he's about to inherit. But in this context, we could look at that, that this immoral woman stands for more than just a particular woman that may have been in his life. This immoral woman stands for the advances of this worship of sexuality that is pervasive even back in ancient times. And Solomon warns again and again and again not to fall prey because it could lead to his downfall. And I think it's obvious that even in our culture today, 
men struggle with the enticements or the appeal of an immoral woman. You know, you look at our advertisements and our television, and we have this common phrase that says, sex sells. Why does it sell? Because it's an easy sell. Men are easy targets to the enticements of an immoral woman. But even in our day, I think women are having an ever-increasingly difficult time finding an honorable and a godly man. A man who will stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. They're having a difficult time finding a godly man. And this is personal to me because I have two daughters. And as I look at the landscape of their potential suitors, I'm not finding many quality or qualified young men. This is an issue. It's an epidemic in our nation. And so for the women in the world, their challenge is to avoid the immoral man. And because there's so few options, this becomes difficult. And frankly, I believe many women end up settling because there are so few options. So they go with the one that makes them feel the most beautiful and the most loved in the moment, even though Scripture calls us to have godly discernment on who we become yoked with. So the Scripture, even though calls this the immoral woman, we can apply this to both genders, that everyone needs to avoid the immoral individual. Words and phrases associated with this person are seductive, unfaithful, adulterous, breaks her covenant with God, rebellious, wandering around looking for who she can ensnare because she's a predator. She's a predator. Dressed provocatively and seductively. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 says, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. And again, we can apply this immoral woman illustration to men or women, but for the sake of argument, we'll go with Scripture's definition here or description. So as this immoral woman is being described, not only is she pleasing to the eye, but her words are enticing. She, she's attractive, and her words are enticing. They invigorate the imagination. They create what I call a wicked curiosity. A wicked curiosity, that's the curiosity you get when you see something or you know something's wrong, but something in you is still kind of pulling you towards kind of seeing more about what that's about. It's in that midst of temptation where you're like, yeah, I know I should probably avoid that, but I can't help being intrigued with what is going on. That's a wicked curiosity. There's a demonic power involved. She draws the heart toward her evil intentions. She cares about nothing about what is good and honorable or what is best for you. She simply only cares about what she wants, how she feels, and what she wants to do. And the Bible says the result of engaging this immoral woman is devastation. Proverbs 5, 8 through 14 says, stay away from her. Don't go near to the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. You will lose to merciless people all you have achieved, strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body and you will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had ignored, had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. You see, sin devastates. The end result of sin is devastation. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Nothing good ever comes from sin. 
And the problem with sin is if you imagine a still pond, like in the early morning when you go out, if you're staying on the lake and you go out in the morning and it's barely dusk and the, the pond is undisturbed, the waves have yet to begin to, to rumble. It's like a crystal sea. And you throw a stone in that that still pond or that still lake and it begins to emit ripples throughout the water that go far beyond what you could possibly see. And that's how sin is so devastating. Not only do you see the initial splash or have the initial outcome of the result of that sin, but the effects and the consequences of that sin go far beyond what we could even expect or imagine, far beyond the incident or the initial consequence. When we let sin mature, what is left is destruction. And if you think about, it's a common scenario in our world today. If a man cheats on his wife or a wife is unfaithful to her husband, not only will that cause a curse to fall upon themselves and their children, leading to all manner of emotional struggles and dysfunction, but when divorce is included in that situation, there's even more struggle, more pain. There's a loss of property and wealth that's been accumulated over the course of that marriage due to court fees and penalties and the like. There's child support payments now. There's alimony payments that could be involved. If your spouse remarries someone else, now you have to watch them raise your child. Your Someone else gets to enjoy, as the scripture says, the fruit of your labor. They get to live the life you were meant to live. And you'll be left to walk in shame as you face the public disgrace of your actions. Your consequences and your shame will be left in public view because people will know what happened. Well, they're not together anymore. It's been all over Facebook. What happened? Well, you know, we'll find out. And that reputation lasts long into the future. It'll stay with you forever. In my own experience, when my shame was exposed, when I was dealing with my own sins, I couldn't hide from it even if I wanted to, especially if I wanted a chance to let God repair what I had broken. I had to walk through some very difficult consequences. It's one of the most difficult things I'd ever had to do. But even now, God is repairing what's been broken. But even though he's repairing what's been broken, the ripples are still affecting the life that God's putting back together. It's not what it could have been but it is still something remarkable. God will turn around what's bad in our lives for our good. We have a promise in Romans 8, 28, that God will turn everything to good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. He will turn what's bad in our lives around for good because we're his kids. We repent and follow him in faith, but it's not instantaneous and it happens over a process of time because the ripple effects continue to go out into the world. Here in Proverbs, the father is pleading with the son to fear the Lord. God is pleading with us to pursue wisdom, to fear God, to guard our hearts against the immoral woman's advances. But the church today, you can look statistically, you can just look around, the church today is failing. We're failing the advances, guarding against the advances of the immoral woman. There are many areas where we fall and pray to the immoral woman in the church, and it's evident in the lives and the decisions of people. And there are three ways I want to talk about the way we fall and pray to or fail to guard against the advances of the immoral woman in the church today. The first one is this. We've become desensitized to her advances. We've become desensitized. And we've allowed her ways to influence our beliefs and our behavior. This is a real problem in our culture, but it's becoming an increasing problem in the church. 
According to an article entitled Media Effects Adolescent Sexuality and Social Development, it says two out of every three shows on TV include sexual content, an increase from about half of all the shows during the 97-98 television season. The most widely viewed shows, those airing in primetime on major networks, are even more likely to include sexual content. Sexual intercourse is depicted or strongly implied in one out of every ten shows on TV. Of those instances of sexual intercourse either depicted or strongly implied, only half occurred among couples who had an established relationship with one another. Ten percent involved couples who had just met. Only ten percent of all television programs, only ten percent, contain sexual scenes that include any reference to the possible risks or possibilities associated with sex, including pregnancy or STDs. Only 10%. That means 90% of all shows that show any kind of sexual content depicted as glamorous and pain-free or carefree. While two years ago, 3% of all characters involved in intercourse were, were teens, today that figure has jumped up to 9%. So our media is depicting to our youth that promiscuity is common and thus should be encouraged. In America, if you remember not too long ago, traditional moral values, a biblical framework, used to be preeminent. You couldn't even watch a television show and see a, a man and a female who were supposed to be married in the show staying in the same bed because they were actors that weren't married. They'd have to sleep in separate beds. You know, and we would laugh or scoff at that today, but it shows you just how far we've come. In America, families and Christian families used to echo Solomon's words to the youth in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 4, where Solomon says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. There is a right time to awaken love, and that is when you walk down the center aisle in holy matrimony and become married to your spouse. That is the right time. But now the message that we're sending to people of all ages, especially to the youth in our culture, is that you should be free to explore your sexuality as you see fit with no fear or reverence for the Lord. We're doing what is right in our own eyes. Our society is becoming more and more sexualized, and we're just going along with the program, promoting sexuality in younger and younger age groups. Clothing is becoming less and less modest. What used to be considered pantyhose today is being accepted as regular pants to walk outside. You laugh, but it's true. Is not. Is it not? It's true. Just 20 years ago, you'd see somebody wearing yoga pants or stretch pants outside, and we would have a lot of words going through our mind as to, as to who or what kind of person that was. But now it's a commonplace, even in the church. Costumes for young girls, even the preteen girls, now mimic and mirror their sexy adult counterparts. There's next to no difference. This is the corruption and confusion in our society, leading to all sorts of confusion of sexuality in our society. And the problem with this biased view in our culture that sex is only glamorous or to be glamorous is that it does not tell the whole story. There are very real negative effects of sexual practice like STDs, unplanned pregnancy, emotional, deep emotional and spiritual scarring, most of which people don't have anywhere on their radar until one day they wake up totally shocked, wondering how in the world did they get where they were. When they have to face the consequences for stepping outside of God's will and plan for relationships, like Solomon cries out to his son. He's crying out to his son and says, 
listen, hearken the voice of God. Listen to wisdom. Solomon's crying out to his son, and I would cry out even to my own children to avoid making destructive decisions, warning of potential consequences. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 11, you can hear the anguish in his voice as he's depicting the end result of these decisions in his son's life. Proverbs 5.11 says, In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, How I hated discipline if only I had not ignored all the warnings. I pray that no one in here wakes up to a moment like that. Where they wake up and say, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I wish I had not ignored the warnings because once you get sick, there's no going back. Many STDs today have no cure. They're trying to vaccinate against them, but in the end, there is not a cure. But the concern with our culture is not the dangers of sexual practice. The concern of our culture is making sure that we're not stifling someone's choice. Rather than leading them towards wisdom and the reverence of God, we're worrying about stifling their choice. But what we need to recognize as the people of God today, we have to understand that sex was never meant to be unsafe. Did you know that? Sex was never meant to be unsafe. Sex was meant by God to be a gift to two in a covenant of eternal marriage, to be a gift to be intended to increase their joy and their intimacy over the course of their lives. It was never meant to be dangerous or feared. The study continues and says, there are strong theoretical reasons to believe that media may play an especially important role on the socialization of sexual knowledge, attitudes, and behavior. In a study of 13 and 14-year-olds, heavy exposure to sexually oriented television increased acceptance of non-marital sex. In a Kaiser Family Foundation study of 76% of teens said that one reason young people have sex is because TV shows and movies make it seem normal for them. In another study, children ages 11 to 13 and some ages 8 to 10 understood the sexual content, even the jokes and innuendos in the shows. And the viewing of daytime serials and MTV is a predictor of sexually permissive attitudes and behavior among college students. Older adolescents in one study tended to mimic the sexual themes of the shows that they watched. College students exposed to a large amount of sexual behaviors on television were more likely to believe that their peers engaged in those same activities. The way in which we are flippantly depicting sex and the grotesque way our society is worshiping sex is having a dramatic effect on the way we, even as believers, view sex, sexuality, and relationships. And why is that? is because the enemy is working very hard to desensitize us to the advances of the immoral woman. The second way we have fallen prey to the immoral woman is that we have lost honor in the marriage covenant. We do not understand God's will and plan for marriage, the importance of it, and therefore we've lost honor in the marriage covenant. According to a Psychology Today article entitled, Is Casual Sex on the Rise in America? First of its kind research delivers some surprises. It says that there is a unique issue in this current generation of young adults. The study is showing that from 1988 to 1996, between 2000 
and between 2004 and 2012 that sexually active respondents from the current era were more likely than those of the earlier era to report sex with a casual date, pickup, or friend, and less likely to report sex with a spouse or regular partner. So it would seem that today's youth is indeed having more casual sex and less romantic sex than the previous generation. The study from Psychology Today is showing that casual sex is up and marital sex is down. Why is that? Is it because not as many people are getting married as they're used to? There's a belief in our culture, even among Christians, that it doesn't matter who you hook up with or even when you hook up because the sanctity of marriage is all but lost on a past but growing majority of people. But here in the book of Proverbs, the Father is calling out to us to wake up and heed wisdom to see that the end of sin is destruction. Stepping outside of God's will for marriage, for relationships, is to reap dysfunction, pain, and suffering on ourselves. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. There's a common uh, misconception in this world today that you can practice for marriage by, by moving in together and engaging in these activities before marriage. But the reality is, is there's no practice for covenant. God didn't show up to the nation of Israel and say, hey, we're going to practice having a relationship. Let's try this out for a while. And if I don't like you, I'm just going to dump you and pick another tribe. God didn't do that. God made an eternal covenant and says, I'm going to take you as you are, the way you are, for the, till the end of time. There's no practice for covenant. And marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And we honor marriage by being pure before marriage, remaining faithful in marriage, staying true to one another. For anything else calls down the judgment of God. That doesn't mean that if you step outside of God's will, you're instantly going to hell. No, God rains down judgment or discipline in many ways. What it means is it rains down dysfunction and trouble. And there's no wonder why so many relationships, so many families and people are ripe with dysfunction in their relationships. One of the shows my wife and I like to watch was the show, This Is Us. Do we have any This Is Us fans in here? Yeah, if you like a good cry, just put on that show. I mean, I think it's supposed to come with Kleenex. But uh, we like to watch that show, but lately... There was some content on there that I just wasn't comfortable with, so we didn't watch the show for a while. But we decided to watch it the other night. And I, I was kind of shocked, and you know, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was kind of shocked because of the subject matter I was studying for this message. It just kind of fit right in. But there's a point in the last episode that we saw that the character Kevin was going to the VA to try to get information on his uncle that was supposedly dead. And he was there with his girlfriend who had just decided to move in together. And they're sitting across the table from this old lady. And as she's asking for their, their personal information, like where they live and whatnot, they begin to kind of get squirmy about the fact that they just moved in together and, and were like really excited about it. And all of a sudden, Kevin just kind of blurts out to this old lady. He's like, yeah, yeah we're living in sin. And uh, it was supposed to be humorous and funny. But I, I, I just looked at my wife and we we're like, are you serious? Like they're making a mockery of God's view, his biblical view of marriage right here on this television show. And most of us would probably laugh at it, but the reality is that God is calling us as believers to come out from among the world, not to engage and be one of those in the world. 
Most people, you know, probably wouldn't think another thing of it, but God created sex and sexuality to be a beautiful gift in marriage. It is also the very reflection of the gospel we preach. The husband reflects Jesus Christ in the marriage, and the wife represents the church who are united together in an unbreakable, unshakable relationship for all of eternity. It's a picture of salvation. And when we uh, go against that picture, we are tarnishing and casting shame on the very message that we stand to preach. When we reject God's wisdom and embrace the wisdom of the world, we invite these troubles and dysfunctions into our lives. And the stats have been around for years. Those who are sexually active before marriage, those who cohabitate uh, before marriage are more likely to end in divorce than those who were to wait or to remain faithful to God's design. Cohabitation is another such way in which we reject God's will for marriage in our culture. And it's becoming more and more accepted in the church hooking up, and so is hooking up with a non-believer. And again, I know these are sensitive issues, and some of you might be in this very situation. And again, hear my heart. This is not to make anyone feel ashamed or, or condemned. We all have stuff. But if we don't wrestle with the truth of God, if we don't wrestle with these things, God says, remain in the truth, and it will set you free. God is providing us an opportunity to choose a way to blessing, not to remain in a place that's gonna lead us down a path that is going to cause more and more pain and suffering, to envelop more and more ripples of dysfunction in our lives. But cohabitation, especially with, or, or marriage with an unbeliever, is another way we dishonor marriage. Second Corinthians six fourteen through 18 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God has something amazing in store for his kids in marriage, for his children. But the problem is, is that Christians today are living with cultural complacency. And they're elevating their love for what makes them feel good and their sexuality over the place where God should be reigning in their lives. Paul prophesied in the last days that men will be lovers of themselves. They will love pleasure over the lovers of God. And today, God is calling us to come out from living among unbelievers, to come out of living and embracing the patterns and customs of this world. And it's no wonder why that our children are having to suffer the consequences of our decisions. I, I've been disconnected from social media for a while and even the news for a while, but I found out that this past week or so that the state of New York just passed one of the most heinous and disgusting laws on abortion, I think, ever in history. Our children are having to pay the price for our decisions. And if you don't know anything about abortion, you can look at the stats have been around for a long time. Out of all the abortions that have ever been committed, less than 1% of them have been for the health of the mother, incest, rape, or whatnot, the, the actual arguments they tend to use. 99% plus of all abortions that have ever been committed are as a result of two people trying to cover their sins and avoid living with consequences of their decisions. 
They're using it as birth control rather than any other means. It's a proven fact. And why is that? Why is that happening? Why is it happening in the church? It's because we're not guarding our hearts against the advances and enticements of the immoral woman. We're embracing them. We're sacrificing our children to cover our own sins rather than heeding wisdom, listening to the voice of God and living a godly way that brings blessing. You see, the end of sin is always destruction, always. Proverbs 6, 27 through 29 says, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can we walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. You see, the reality of this situation today is a problem with having sex with someone who's not your spouse. By stepping outside of God's will, by engaging with somebody who's not your, your husband or your wife, is not that it's just not a sin against God, which it is. It's not just that it's a sin against the other person, which it is. It's not that it's just a sin against yourself, which it is. But the reality is, is if you do not marry the person that you're engaged in a sexual relationship with, someday someone will be. And you will have just defiled that person's spouse. And they will have defiled you. And don't think for a second that sin's consequences will not come to fruition in your life. This is what the father is crying out to his son. Heed my words. I don't want this for your life. And this would be even my call to you is I don't want to see anyone go through anything that can be avoided. If we would heed God's voice and hear, heed his word, we would avoid and guard our hearts against the enticements of the immoral woman. We would follow his plan and will for marriage and for sexuality and the like. The third way we fall and pray to the immoral woman is the worship of images. The worship of images. Last week, we talked about Israel and how they gave themselves over to false idols and the worship of the images of different demons. But one of the main influences that are leading the church and our culture to such a sexualized culture is pornography. We live in a pornographically saturated culture and it's destroying families. It's destroying families. It's destroying intimacy. And we experience pornography on many levels. A basic definition of pornography essentially is anything that's designed to elicit a sexual response or to elicit some form of arousal response in the individual viewing the image. Anything that is designed that way to catch the eye. The word pornography actually comes from a Greek word we have in the Bible called pornea, and it's translated in the Bible as fornication. Pornography, pornea, is simply ungodly sexual practice. It's destructive. But when we turn on the TV, we drive down the street, we see advertisements on the side of the road, we see pornea. When a seductive TV ad for makeup airs or for shower gel or any type of advertisement when a woman who's in advertising swimwear is, is poised and lit and uh, framed a certain way to catch the eye, we're looking at pornea. We're looking at pornography. Porn is so readily accessible online today that every web browser now actually comes with an incognito mode to enable you to view porn freely at your leisure without any risk of someone seeing your browser history. This is how saturated our culture is. 
Children are first exposed to pornography by at least age 11. I was exposed to pornography the first time by age 12, and it had a devastating effect on my mind and left me to an on-again, off-again addiction in my life. It caused a lot of pain in my marriage through false beliefs, perceptions, attitudes, and expectations. I know the reality of this firsthand. And many young people are growing up with these ideas of sexuality born through the exposure to pornography. Boys are growing up thinking sexuality is supposed to be a certain way because of what they've seen, and they put those expectations on the young girls in their lives. People joke around, talk about sexual, sexuality a certain way because it comes from these demonic lies born from pornea. It affects even our young girls' view of what they find beautiful or even acceptable about their own bodies. Articles and studies are showing that, that even hygiene is now based upon what they believe to be acceptable based on the pornographic culture. We have apps on our phones where we can take a picture of ourselves and we can slim what we think needs to be slimmed. We can enlarge what we think needs to be enlarged. We're no longer satisfied with reality. We opt for synthetic and fake fantasy because of pornea in our culture. According to the website fightthenewdrug.org, they have several articles on pornography and they say that studies are showing now that viewing porn releases highly potent chemicals in your brain. Those chemicals do more than just make you feel great. While you're enjoying that good feeling, your brain is also building new nerve pathways to connect the pleasure you're feeling to the activity you're doing. No wonder why sex sells. It's the brain's way of making sure that whatever you're doing, you'll come back and do again and again. The association between the activity and the reward happens automatically, even if you don't intend it, because the neurons that fire together wire together. See, God intends for us to enjoy his creation, but our enemy wants to corrupt his creation and get us to enjoy the perversion of his creation. Our enemy wants us to hunger for the wicked things of this world and not the holy things of God. And porn is probably more addictive than even many drugs and is considered in its own right to be a drug. And there are uh, rehab facilities that are designed to help people break their pornography addictions. FightTheNewDrug.org has other articles that show consuming porn is an escalating behavior because the brain requires more and more stimulus. Therefore, it leads people to view even more and more dark and devious material. Porn is not just addictive, but it even changes your brain and affects the way that you are able to think and even experience your reality. No wonder why porn is destroying families. It makes people incapable of having healthy relationships. Men can't be satisfied with their wives and women can't be satisfied with themselves. Women are left broken wondering why they're not good enough to keep their husband's attention. Even couples who look at porn together to spark times of intimacy will find that it has an even more damaging effect. It's a never-ending broken cycle. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 28, he says this, I say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you just look at a woman with lust, with that desire, it's like you've already committed adultery. We have to realize that viewing porn is not a victimless crime. The people involved in making it are victims of a broken and abusive system. The people viewing it become mentally and spiritually damaged, who then in turn, often mentally and emotionally, sometimes even physically harm those in relationships with because of porn's influence. 
And Jesus said, lusting is like you're having sex with a person anyway, breaking your marriage covenant. God's desire is for us to honor marriage, to honor marriage, to honor the covenant, to find fulfillment in only one person, the person being your spouse, the one that God brought, brings together to unite you as one together. Proverbs 5.15, the proverb says, drink water from your own well, share your love only with your wife, why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You have to understand that intimacy in your body is a very precious gift. And sexuality is like a spring of life meant to bring things to life. And here, the writer of Proverbs is saying, when we go around just doing whatever feels good, it's like we're throwing that life well, that spring of life into the streets. Why waste your life on those who are just going to use it and abuse it? Verse 17, he says, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Your wife, your spouse, your husband is to be your one and your only from the beginning of time to the end of time. Verse 19, she is a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Men, that's a life verse. You're welcome. Let her satisfy you. Quit looking at the stuff and look at your wife. God says it's okay. It's a good thing. We need more of that, right? It's what he desires for you. She's a loving deer. She is to be desired. She wants to feel desired. Do you realize, men, that your wives want to know that you desire them more than you desire anything else? And that anything that comes between that is devastating to her soul. A way to make your wife feel more loved than you could possibly imagine is to let her know she is desired more than anything else in your life. Desire her. The Bible's giving you permission. Even lets you touch. Verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman? or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Nothing is withheld from God. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. This verse rings true to me. I've experienced this in my own life. When sin is in your life, especially any kind of addiction, it's like a rope that catches and lays hold of you. The Bible in the New Testament calls this a spiritual stronghold a stronghold. The Bible here, long before neuroscience and understanding how the brain works, is revealing that there is an effect that's like a bondage, a prison that happens when we engage in sexual sin, when we go outside of God's will, when we look at and fall into the enticements of the immoral woman that there is a prison, a spiritual prison that happens with lust long before we ever had science to prove the effect. The reality is that sexual sin leads to pain, suffering, and bondage. And bondage always leads to destruction. In verse 23, it says, He will die for lack of self-control because he will be lost because of his great foolishness. Hear the heart of your father today. God wants good for you. He wants your life to be blessed, not cursed. He wants your life to be blessed. He wants good for you. He doesn't want pain. God weeps when we weep. He doesn't want you going through pain you could avoid by heeding his wisdom. He weeps when we weep. 
Wisdom is calling in the streets. Avoid the immoral woman because entertaining her will bring destruction. But you know, there's good news about the way porn wires the brain. Is that even though it wires the brain and causes you to act and think and perceive a certain way, it can also be unwired. In Romans 12.2, Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns and customs of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's exactly what he's talking about. When we get engaged and we become addicted, we be, make certain decisions, our brains become wired and hardwired, leading us to do that more and more and more. But Paul is saying, come out of that. Break the patterns that lead to destruction and begin infusing yourself with patterns that lead to godliness, holiness, blessing, Come out of the way Satan wants to bring destruction into your life and be transformed by God's truth. The way you unwire what's been hardwired is you starve yourself of what has caused the hardwiring and you begin infusing it with something new to wire over it. When you begin to starve yourself of the images and, and the uh, things that are causing the addiction, when you stop looking at pornography and allowing those influences to inundate your mind and you start infusing yourself with, say, the Word of God that brings life and the presence of God and the worship of God, it begins to unwire what was hardwired to leading you to sin and begins wiring you for holiness. You become addicted to pornography, causing you to stray and have a wandering eye, lusting after every woman or every man or everything, and you become hardwired to find one person attractive, one person uh, desirable, one person your one and only, which was God's perfect plan. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have to wrestle with these issues. We have to address these issues in order to shine a light on the enemy's schemes, to cause a light to shine on the immoral woman, to give us a chance to break the patterns that have been causing dysfunction in our families and leaving brokenness, legacies of brokenness for generations. We have to guard ourselves. The church needs to guard its heart by guarding against the influences of the world and the enticements of the immoral woman. And the question is, how do we do that? In a saturated world filled with pornea, in a culture where it's okay to hook up, shack up, break up, in a culture where you're the oddball if you're saving yourself for marriage, you're saving yourself to honor the Lord, how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves of everything that can defile your body and your spirit. And let us work to complete holiness because we what? We fear God. Did you know that not just your body, but your spirit can be corrupted? Did you know that because of the things you invite and allow in your life, you can invite and allow Satan's army, the forces of darkness to come? and oppress you and bring dysfunction into your life and influence you in a way that's going to harm you and harm your family. Paul's saying to work towards holiness, we need to get rid of the influences that are causing and inviting dysfunction in our bodies, dysfunction in our lives, in our spirits, and we need to work toward holiness. We become transformed by the renewing of our mind. What this means, church, is we need a hunger for God like we've never had before. We live in a dark world. We're living in an evil day. 
And if the church is going to stand victorious, we need a hunger for God, a hunger for his presence that supersedes anything this world has to offer. This world offers us nothing but the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I'm here to tell you today, church, if we're going to honor God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we need a hunger for God and his presence like we've never had which means we need to stop ingesting hours upon hours of television and trash and start ingesting hours upon hours of the word and the truth of God. We need not to forsake the assembly of ourselves as the manner of some is, but even so much the more gathered together, exhorting one another to good works as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. We need to take our faith serious and take our faith out into the streets. We need to stop waiting for God to bring us opportunity and go make God moments as we take the gospel out, living as light in this dark world. We need to stop sitting and get focused on mission that we are God's only plan. There's no plan B, it's us. And we can wait around waiting for God to speak from the air and say, go and do. But he's already said in his word, go into the world. And our problem is we stay and sit. We don't go and preach. We're not living as light. And we're just sitting, looking around and absorbing all the enticements in the world. You know, this week, we had an opportunity to go visit another church. I wasn't... Uh, going to include this in the message, but God's brought a God opportunity that we've been praying for. We're still not for sure on the results or even the direction, but we had an opportunity to go visit a church and find, come to find out this church is on its way out. The average age, I think he said of the church members was 70. Most of them are going into a home in the near future. They can't contain the, the building that they're in. And the pastor that's been there has been there longer than what he had planned, trying to revive the church, but they just seem like there's no interest, there's no growth, there's no life, but there's a lot of arguing, fighting, infighting, and a lot of unhealthy spirituality. And the question is, is how did they get there? The way they got there is what they stopped being light. They allowed themselves to get entrenched in the comforts and the patterns of this world and they stopped being a force of good. They stopped being hands and feet of Jesus. They stopped being champions of the faith. They got consumed, they got comfortable, they sat and they didn't get back up. And they found themselves now one day too old to do anything on their way out and they're losing their church. And the sad thing is, is they probably lost their faith years ago. That's the most tragic thing. And our enemy is vying for our faith. He's vying for our belief. He's getting us distracted with all these influences, enticements, pulling us away from the mission of the church. And we have to call ourselves back to revival. We have to call ourselves back to the very purpose why God saved us, why he bled on the cross for our sins, why he went to the horrors of hell and came back three days from the grave. It wasn't for us to sit and hear good sermons. It wasn't for us to say, oh, I went to church today. It was for us to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. It was for us to command the darkness to go and see people delivered. It was for us to tell people the gospel and see their lives changed, their families restored. This is why we gather each week week. We gather to be refilled, to go out and be hands and feet of Jesus. But so many of us, we just allow the world into our lives to distract us, to influence us, 
to the point that we lack the faith to even take a simple step of obedience to say, you know what, God? I'm going to trust what your word says. I'm going to choose to believe that this is true. And I'm going to hold myself pure until I'm married. I'm going to stay faithful in my marriage. I'm going to rid myself of all these influences that have been vying for my attention. I'm going to put my smartphone down. I'm going to stop watching television. I'm going to stop doing these things that have been leading me astray. And I'm going to invest myself in my relationship with you. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is that when I stand before God, you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not depart from me, you who works iniquity. We need a wake up. We need a fresh wind, a fresh fire. We need the people of God to be willing to even go to the throes of death for the sake of the gospel. Who here today would say, God, I don't care where you want to send me, but whatever it is, I would go in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is, I don't care what you want me to do, where you want me to live, what vocation you want me to have, where in ministry you want. I don't care who you want me to talk to. I will go. Do we hunger enough for, of God? Do we have a hunger enough for God to say, God, my life is a living sacrifice. Do with it as you please. We need a hunger. We need a passion. We need to take this thing serious and real. We need to be dissatisfied with the way we've become comfortable in the world and we need to become satisfied with God and our relationship with Him, knowing our perfect peace, our identity, everything we have comes from Him. And there's more that we can experience with God each and every day. His mercy is new every day. There's never going to be a time where we get too much of God, where we discover all that He is. He's too big for that. The question is, is do you want more of God? Do you have a hunger for Him? Are you tired of eating at the buffet of the world, listening to the enticements of the immoral woman and everything else the enemy is bringing into our lives? And are you ready to have a God encounter? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment. Father, I just thank you for being here in this place. God, you said in your word, if your people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will hear, heal your land. God, our land needs a healing. Our land is becoming more and more wicked by the hour. God and your people, I have to confess the church, rather than standing up and seeking your face and repenting, we've been settling in and allowing the world just to continue on. We've fallen prey to the enticements of the immoral woman. We've given the enemy our heart. We've gone our own way. We've spit on the cross. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us of these evil things undo these wicked patterns that have dominated our minds. God, begin transforming us with the word. Give us the faith to trust your word as it says, God, to say that no matter what decisions I have to make, I'm going to decide to do what you've said in your word because I know that is the truth and that will lead us to blessing. God, set some people free today. 
set some people free from the guilt and the condemnation that they've been feeling because they're carrying these things in their life. Set them free, God, by speaking to their life. Give them a touch from your Holy Spirit, God. Help them to see that you're not unhappy with them because of these things. You're broken for them because of the pain they've invited into their lives. And I pray, God, that today that healing process would come by people simply coming forward, laying down at your feet and saying, God, forgive me. I put my faith in you. Begin to heal this place in my heart as I take a step of faith now to honor you in my life. That I will make the hard decision. I will stand up and take my responsibility. I will be a man and a woman of God. Our house will serve the Lord. We're going to cast out these images. We're going to cast out these practices. We're going to stand as beacons of light and not follow the ways of darkness. Begin revival in this place today, Father. God, if there's someone here that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that right now you would just touch their lives, God, that they would feel the warmth of your Holy Spirit, that your love would just overflow, God, and that they would know that you're calling out. They're saying, stop wandering. Stop trying to find purpose. Stop trying to find happiness. Come to me, and I will give you rest. That they would choose today to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As we go into a time of response, we just want to open the floor for a time of prayer. Whatever God is speaking to your life, I just encourage you to come forward, whatever it is. Come forward and allow God to begin to do a work in your life. We'll be down front to pray. I'm going to ask Chris and Virginia if you'd come forward to and be available for prayer. Whatever is going on in your life, you need prayer. We'll be here. Father, I thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name.